Hello, happy holidays. Welcome back to the TetraCast. We are in episode 326, recorded on November 25th, 2023, the day after Black Friday. And normally, normal people don't podcast on the weekend after Thanksgiving, but we're not normal. We're here, we're back again to talk about video games, except not really, nothing really came out this week. But we did have, you know, some new news, which is surprising. And we're, you know, working through some backlogs for uh, in preparation for end of the year stuff. And, you know, I hear that Valve released a new hardware device uh, just recently as well. We'll have uh, new details on that because one of us got our hands on it. Uh, I have with me Adam Vitali. Hello. I have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And I have Chow Min Wu. How's it going? All right. Happy holidays, folks. We, uh, people in the United States celebrated our Thanksgiving and other you know, associated holidays uh, with that. I know, Chow, you're in Canada. Thanksgiving is old news to you. Um, We're just ahead of the curve, okay? Um, you say so. You forgot your Thanksgiving, unlike <laughs> us. <laughs> you did. They're never going to let that down. Uh, I had a lovely Thanksgiving. Had a, I posted my meal, had some turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, um, made some interesting like desserts with like some homemade like triple fudge shake with vanilla ice cream on top. Sounds good. And, and we also had like fruit salad. We had Filipino fruit salad where we have like a bunch of fruits and then we put condensed milk on top of it. That's our fruit salad in, in the Philippines as a dessert. And that was delicious. Anything to share on your guys' Thanksgivings? Any good food, good company, anything cool? So I live alone. (laughs) (laughs) I live alone. So Thanksgiving weekend is just a long weekend for me. Mm -hmm. I just bought a caramel apple pie from the Mm. grocery store and ate it. All right. That's my Thanksgiving. That's it. Hey, caramel apple pie is delicious. I didn't. I had a nice Thanksgiving with my uh, parents and uh, actually uh, going to a Friendsgiving party uh, after this podcast. Nice. Uh, so that'll, that'll be nice. Oh, man. Yeah, the double Thanksgiving specials are always uh, fun when you're uh, hopping around either different families' families or uh, to, to, like you said, a Friendsgiving mm-hmm. when they're celebrating a little bit late for the weekend, but you get more new food to try out. So if there's anything cool there, uh, let us know. We're always down for food pictures in the staff chat. So as you uh, as you can tell, uh, once again, I'm I'm the host. My name is Josh Torres. Brian Vitali is uh, still out this time for you know the holiday. Obviously out of town, and uh, that's all good. You should be joining us. You know, maybe uh, next week. We'll see. Uh, until then, I'll be your host. Let's kick things off with a video game. Adam, you've been working on a little game called Lies of P. And we've briefly mentioned it here and there, but we haven't had anyone like play through it thoroughly on the podcast yet to really talk about the nitty-gritty. This was the Souls-like dark fantasy game from NeoWiz that was very slightly Pinocchio-themed, and uh, I know you've been playing a lot of it over the past few days. Uh, t- tell us about it. Yeah, so... N- this time of year, now that all the major releases of the year, uh, RPG releases, are out, 
you know, we're starting to think about um, end of the year awards. We have our end of the year podcast coming up. We think we're thinking it's going to be on the weekend of December 9th and 10th, but that's not set in stone yet. It seems likely, but not guaranteed. And, you know, this is the sort of time of year where it's like, okay, what have I missed this year that I kind of want to experience before we get to that point? Now, first of all, I'll mention that, yes, I know Dragon Quest Monsters comes out next week, but the way that RPG sites kind of year work is we go from December through December. So basically anything that releases this December is valid in next year's awards and uh, thus anything from last December is valid in this year's awards. And we do that just because um, we have to set aside a month for like polling for our reader poll and for our podcasting and everything anyway. December makes the most sense for that because it's usually a release light month. But that just sort of means that everything that's in December we have to kind of push back to the next year and also we don't it's not really fair for a game to come out and be so close to the awards so D- dragon quest monsters three next year's awards you, so. you, you get that you can thank for a saga scarlet grace from back there for establishing this policy because that's the whole reason we well that game was excellent policy. it so. was great i love it but that's the reason why we started this december the december thing yeah so but that means that for this year's rewards, that means we will have to consider things like Marvel's Midnight Suns. You were pretty fond of that. Is that a top 10 game? It's hard to say. This game, this, mm-hmm. this year since then has had a ton of great games. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So Liza P was a game that I decided to go back to, but I'm not allowed to have an opinion on it. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I've never played a Dark Souls. So that's sort of like trying to measure water level without knowing what your sea level is. This is like your ongoing identity and gimmick. Adam (laughs) here has played fucking every Souls like, but not the proper Souls series itself at all. So it's like like trying to determine a voltage delta without a reference electrode. You can't do it. Yes. (laughs) Of course. But anyways, that was a joke. Um, So Liza P, I was always interested in it, but December was... Or December... September was kind of crazy full, and I was I was reviewing Nayuta at the time. There was everyone's favorite game, uh, The Adventures of Die, came out. Yes, Fate Samurai Remnant. Anyways, all in December or all in September. But um, this game, uh, the other Josh, who we affectionately referred to as Josh Two, reviewed it uh, for our site, and he was pretty happy with it, pretty fond of it. He gave it an eight out of ten. Uh, he would he would like to say that he. He beat the game before they nerfed it. They nerfed a couple of the bosses, made them easier. Uh, I remember him when he was reviewing it, struggling with these bosses. Uh, specifically, the King of Puppets was a difficult boss uh, at launch. But anyways, this game has reviewed well. Seems like it's, people are pretty fond of it overall. You know, it seems to have gotten pretty good reception. It was even nominated for the Game Awards. The Game Awards. The Those game. are the most important ones. The Keeleys. Um as for best RPG and also I think best art. Um, so, you know, just broadly a game that seems to have been well-received, not saying it's flawless, but, you know, pretty good. I'm like, you know what? None of us on the podcast have really played this game. Josh too did, but he never really was able to come on and talk about it. So I figured, hey, I'll just give it a shot and play it. And I have beaten it. Um, and where do I start? So the Pinocchio theming, it's there. But it is more just like addressing to things. Um, I would I wouldn't say it's like non-existent. It is there, but it's 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 not like the Disney Pinocchio or anything like that. Not even close. It's just a very loose theming to it. Um, it's a Souls-like game. I don't know what that means. Cause I've never played a Souls. 
stop joking. But anyways, um, so this game, I actually played a game last year that was very similar to this. Uh, it's another off-brand Souls-like uh, called Steel Rising. And the reason why I say these games are similar are, you know, they're both developed by, you know, non-Japanese studios. One's Korean, in Liza P's case. One's French, in Steel Rising's case. Both are set in like the 18th, 19th century era, Europe. Uh, and both have like a puppet automaton like theme to it. Only Liza P, well, let me put it this way. Steel Rising, I thought was just okay. It was fine. It was not great, but it wasn't terrible. It was just fine. But I do think uh, Liza P is much more polished and most importantly in this specific comparison has much better level design uh, than Steel Rising. Uh, so you play as Pinocchio, only he's never actually called Pinocchio. He's just called P very lightly. And he's a puppet who wakes up uh, for mysterious reasons and hears a voice in his head from Sophia, who is basically this game's version of the Blue Fairy, basically saying, you know, puppets have taken over this city of Krat and you need to find me and anyone else who's still, you know, alive as part after this puppet frenzy, they call it. And then kind of like other games of this genre, you kind of just pick up a sword. Uh, there's a couple different swords you can pick up at the beginning. Pretty much what you'd expect, like the big broad sword for a slower build, lighter, faster sword, and then something in the middle. And then you're off. You basically just explore zones. Um, all the usual Souls-like systems apply here. You find stargazers, which are basically bonfires, I am told, to uh, level up your character based on the ergo, or the souls, you, you collect. And you can power up your character. You can use this to buy uh, items, consumables. Uh, sometimes different weapons, sometimes collectibles and things like that. Uh, you, you know, it's a, there's a stamina meter that judges how, how many attacks you can get in. This should all sound really familiar. But overall, I just think this game is really well polished, really well done. Uh, and, you know, it's some of the story-ish stuff doesn't all fall into place. I know that's not really the focus in these games anyways. But overall, I think it's pretty solid. I, I like the combat. There's a lot of different ways you can power up your character. There's a very amusingly uh, titled P organ system. You want to guess what that is? Do you swap out the like different parts in your body for yeah. upgrades? Yeah, pretty much. So okay, okay. So how does how does how does the progression work in this game? So you have your normal six stats that you can level up, and it's like you know your HP, your stamina, your defense, your 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 kind of carrying capacity, as well as a couple of stats that basically scale with your weapon. You know, uh, like there's a couple of different weapons that scale on different stats. This is also very Souls-like. Um, but then in addition to that, uh, you can equip amulets that have different effects and things like that. But the the kind of the unique part of Liza P is the P organ system. And basically you find these quartz in the game. And a quartz basically unlocks a new node on your skill tree. And I won't get into all the details because it gets a little bit tricky to, to just state out in sentence here. But you basically use these quartz to unlock various uh, passive buffs in the game. These can be things like you do more damage uh, with your fatal attacks, which is a very a certain type of attack you do, or your your charge attacks take take less stamina, or even some of these buffs you can get are just enemies drop more ergo or shop prices are lowered. Um, I don't know why you upgrading your body can lower shop prices, but it can. Um, and then. 
you know, there's things, there's all these different upgrades you can do, and there, there's not enough quartz to go around to get all of them. So this isn't just a skill tree that you're just going to fill out the whole thing by the end of the game. Definitely not. You you need to pick and choose which ones kind of suit your build and your style, and it's pretty cool. And yes, you can respec it if you determine partway through the game, like, man, I, I was stupid in how I was building my character. You can. Um, there's a system for that. It costs a little bit of money and consumables to do it, but you can. Um, but overall, it's a interesting game. I think it's got some interesting story stuff, interesting characters. It's got a, it does have a really good art style. It's kind of you know that you know 18th century, I guess 19th century uh, European uh, Gothic, almost Victorian area. Yeah, Victorian. Era. I guess is a better a better um, mm -hmm. description of it. It's set in the city of Krat, which I don't know where that's supposed to be. If that's like supposed to be like fictional London or or whatnot, I'm not sure. Um, I think I think the cool thing I saw about this game is like there's some sort of system like the like the way you manipulate weapons where you can like kind of like oh, swap yes. different handles with different like weapon heads, so you can have like a really damaging weapon, but you can swing it fast depending on like the handle. Yeah, actually, I'm not kind of, I'm kind of I'm kind of embarrassed that I forgot to mention that. So it's probably because I picked one. It's probably because I, I picked kind of a weapon and I kind of stuck with it. Although I am experimenting it with it a little bit more on my new game plus run. But yeah, so every weapon in the game that you find, you can split it apart into blade and handle. And basically the blade determines its like damage properties. You're like you'll find some blades that are like uh, lighter but do and do less damage, but you can attack with them faster. Uh, or there's some blades that have like inherent fire property or inherent acid property or electric property or, you know, various elements. And um, then your handle actually determines like your attack animation, which is actually kind of cool. Um, so like one of the first swords you get is like a, uh, not a rapier, but like a, it's almost like a sham shear, like a long sword, kind of slightly curved short sword. Okay. Um, yeah. But actually it's sort of annoying to use like in terms of, it's actual animation because your character would sort of do like these wide arcing horizontal swings. And actually what I found is doing these swings, I would oftentimes like hit an obstacle in the way. Like if you're fighting an enemy in a corridor around a wall, you would hit the wall and you're, you would bounce off of it. And the enemy is like, ha, you can't hit me because the wall's in the way. Uh, and it was kind of annoying. So I actually took that blade off of the original handle and I put it on a, a police baton handle. And that changes your animation so that you're kind of doing a more vertical up and down swing. And I actually kind of like that because like, yes, much more, much less likely to hit a wall now um, and doing these up and down swings. And then you can even put these blades on like a, like a pole arm, almost like a pole arm handle and do like more of these thrusting attacks. So you can have like the same weapon with the same damage, but on like different handles will will actually change your animation, which if you play in any game like this, animations are pretty darn important in terms of trying to time attacks and blocks and everything. And so I haven't actually experimented with this all too much. I kind of just found one that I liked after a little bit of experimenting and stuck with it. But there's a lot of different, there's, I don't know, 25 different weapons in the game. So that's a lot of different combinations of, of handle and blade. Uh, and then you yeah, can also that's a pretty interesting like gimmick that like the like uh whoever like came up with that idea is kind of like brilliant for that yeah. because that's something that like you don't really think about when kind of designing these sorts of games. So I'm actually on my new game plus run right now. I'm doing some achievement wrap up and uh, there's there's a couple of new things in new game plus, but uh um I ran into a boss that was giving me trouble this time and I 
realize that they're weak to acid damage. So I'm like, okay, let me mess with a different blade head with like an acid component. And you need to like, there's crafting components and things like that to like power power up your blades. It's that's all pretty simple. So when you, I know if you cringe when I say crafting, don't that, that system. You just kind of find consumables and you just basically spend them to upgrade a sword. But yeah, that that system in place is is pretty cool. So that that blade system and the P organ system are kind of the unique components to this game. Mm-hmm. But maybe more broadly here, and I hope this comes across correctly. Um, the, this is actually a really cool project made by a Korean developer for like an RPG console, a console RPG. I just think that's yeah. cool because when you think of like Korean games, you usually think like mobile games, PC games, MMOs, not a whole lot. I mean, you got like Magna Carta several years ago, many years oh, ago. Yeah. That's that's ancient now. Well, Magna Carta 2 is still ancient, but not as ancient. But like I'm just trying, I'm trying to think like console Korean games. Yeah, that we can play in English. I'm sure there might be some in other languages, but like Korean developed games, there's not a ton. Like China has there's been. A, kind of, go ahead. There's a lot of rhythm games. Like I know DJ yeah. Max is a big mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. But I know like Chinese. The Chinese game development industry has exploded in the last, let's just say, ten years. Um, Obviously, Genshin is like in Hoyoverse is a huge one, and that's sort of like console mobile kind of combined. But there's plenty of other games as well. I just think that this is like a kind of a big budget, kind of high profile Korean RPG console RPG. I just think that's kind of cool. And he even said the director, um, Choi, somebody, I don't have his name in front of me. Um, like he even said when he had a little director's uh, letter a couple weeks ago. Like, this is almost just like, almost, how do I put this? I'm trying to, I guess I should look this up when I have a second, but kind of just saying like, this is a landmark release for a Korean, a Korean studio. And yeah, I sure agree for, with yeah, that, definitely, so. yeah, it's definitely like an important milestone, definitely from that, from their perspective. And I, it, it, I agree with that because like you said, like when it comes to like single player experiences, especially like big budget trip, like, well, not triple A, but borderline triple A. Yeah uh project console projects like this like you don't really see much of that kind from korea because when you yeah like you said you think of korea like when i i think of like korean mmos there they really specialize in that there's a lot of like korean mmos when i think of like like the g-star summit um you know event you see a lot of mobile games and mmos coming out of that but nothing really quite on like the scale and space that lies of p occupies so it's a pretty like cool project that i'm glad to see like succeeded um you know because like uh, up like you know leading up to release there was a lot of interest in, but it's like it was always one of those probably like will it live up to like you know the the excitement and fervor for it and i think it largely has you know like I, I think the only like complaints uh here and there from it from lots of i don't know if they rectified or not and i know they're doing more ongoing development for it is like when it comes to like, like boss designs and like kind of like the difficulty of them and how, like they kind of have certain movement and be uh, patterns and behaviors that um don't really account for like what mobility options you have at that time because i know there are like some key like p organ upgrades that really make those fights smoother and i know i don't know if they rectified this from launch but i know some people went to like some of those p organ 
upgrades were just like inherent to the character from the get go. Like say, um, like a like a double dash, for example, um, which I believe is like a P organ upgrade that you can do. But because it's like, like the double yeah, dodge roll, yeah, double dodge roll, and and uh, because when you compare it to like similar games like Bloodborne, for example, like that double dodge roll is incorporated inherently to the game. It's something you have at the start of the game. So boss battles at Bloodborne feel like they flow better in comparison because uh, boss behaviors and uh, design and movement patterns of those bosses already incorporate you having that skill because it's her- inherent in Bloodborne. While, like, saying something like in Lies of Peaver, uh, a, a boss might be aggressive. It's hard for you to maneuver around that because you might not have that option available. Yeah, I never got it, the double dodge, mm-hmm. until way okay. late. <laughs> yeah. I never used it. But yeah, yeah, um, that's actually a very good point that uh, they actually did update this a little bit. I guess in the original version of the game, you had two less quartz to deal with at the very beginning of the game. And you kind of feel like some RPGs kind of run into this. I don't know if I want to call it a problem, but like at the beginning of the game, you kind of feel like you suck (laughs) um, because you don't have any stats in anything yet and you haven't unlocked a lot of skills. And they actually, in a recent update basically kind of just kind of gave two quarts to you for free at the beginning like all right here's two quarts you can get two skills basically on us to start the game and i think he even said in the patch notes to maybe make the the early parts of the game just a little bit lighter because to kind of give you some okay you can you can unlock a few skills including maybe the double dash the double dodge roll um early on but yeah in terms of like the combat design uh, now I've never played Bud Bloodborne, so I can't talk speak to it or Sekiro. Um, there is a big emphasis on parrying, and mm-hmm. so the, the, I think the game is pretty smart about this. Like the first enemies that you're supposed to parry against have really like overly choreographed animation towards like I'm going to swing now. You better parry now, and you, it's pretty easy to time them. So it's kind of a good like warm up. Like okay, I, I see how the parrying system works because when you do a parry or a full block, um, I forget what they call it in the game. I think it's just called a full guard or a perfect guard. Perfect guard, but I'm gonna call it a parry. Um, you don't take any damage and the enemy loses a bit of stagger, like a bit of stamina, and they may stun a bit. So there's a very large incentive to block properly. And I know some people hate that. They hate the timing or whatnot. Um, yeah, I wasn't really used to it when I was playing it because com- coming from Bloodborne, you know, when you guard, you take like nearly no damage in the you know in the Souls games compared to here. I mean, I think you lose a lot of stamina for guarding though. But yeah, here it's like if you don't guard, to improve, uh, improve that. But yeah, um, like some of the earlier bosses, like for example, um, there's one that's called oh, I don't remember the boss's name. Okay, I'll just describe him. There's like this electrified tin robot dude that kind of crawls around on fours and he's sort of like he's like i think the third boss in the game and he has some pretty well like choreographed animated attacks that are pretty easy to block and they're pretty slow so it's in that boss it's like okay you better learn how to block on this boss it's not that hard to get these blocks in and you're gonna do way better if you can figure it out but then some of the later bosses in the game are just kind of nuts with all their different attacks and whatnot where that it bec- blocking becomes a much more tricky uh, proposition, or it's almost better just to kind of like avoid them and attack 
like do a dodge and kite and attack when during an opening rather than trying to block because if you don't block then you're just going to get mauled so there is a little bit of trickiness there where it's like some bosses work really well with the parrying system and some bosses are just like if you could block this this eight hit combo from this boss you would look really cool doing it but it's also very hard <laughs> uh, so it's you know and maybe those bosses they're not designed you're not really supposed to block them but right. you know I think there are some bosses that are better than others that kind of suit this blocking, uh, perfect guarding uh, system that's in place. But then, yeah, some of the later bosses just kind of get a little bit nuts, which I guess is sort of expected, where it, it becomes maybe less like a well-choreographed dance and more just, you know, a, a messy battle of can you get enough hits in before they get enough too many hits on you. So, yeah, it's I think the boss design is... It's here and there. It's hit and miss. Some of them are good. Some of them are a little bit more frustrating. But the overall package. Yeah, I, like I would say excellent. that eight out of ten that Josh two gave uh, the other Josh is pretty good. Or is that's I, I'm in general agreement with it. I don't think it's like I don't think this game is like super top notch, but I think it's pretty darn good. So, um, mm -hmm. in terms of the reason I played it, which was for end of the year consideration. You know, will it make the top ten? Yeah, it might make my top ten. But there's oh, yeah, for, so, I'd say for a more important list, does it make your top ten? Yeah, there's no, no, the so many question. games that came out this year, but I think it's a good one. So, the fair question is: Is it better than Lords of the Fallen, or do you prefer Lords of the? Fallen? I haven't played the new Lords of the Fallen. I might play that. Actually, one reason why I played this game first is it sort of felt like this game had. I think both games had kind of like positive reception with some criticism, you know, which is good. But I felt like Liza P was a little bit more leaning positive, so I kind of went that way first. But I might play Lords of the Fallen too to try it out. You know, it seems like kind of similarly, I know Lords of the Fallen was criticized for like enemy placement and things like that. And they actually have said, and I think they've addressed it somewhat and they've already, they've said they're going to address it in their roadmaps that they've done. So um kind of similarly they're kind of taking feedback and going to try to make some tweaks here and there hopefully to not like change the the flavor of the game but you know make it better when they where they can so i might try it and, and, and apparently this won't be the, the last time we see the the lies of verse you know oh yeah there i so we up. we talked on a previous podcast about there is a tease at the end of this game for a different uh, you know kind of a continu continuation now, I was wondering if this tease was like really subtle, but no, it's actually pretty damn explicit. Like, oh, okay, this is where they're going next. Now, mm. I don't know if this is like a sequel or DLC. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting. Well, first of all, they've said there is going to be DLC. So like, it's coming. I don't know when. Now, um, one thing that's kind of interesting, and I think maybe Souls games are like this, let me know. Uh, there's actually, so the stargazers are the, are the bonfires. They're just the devices that you basically can use to warp around the world and, um, do all your level ups and whatnot. But there's one stargazer in a random spot that you can run into that is golden and you can't do anything with it. And no one knows what you do with it. No one knows. I looked it up. I Googled it. I'm like, what oh, is they, this? They what is the okay. This? Yeah. Okay. So no, so, so no one knows even yet. Okay. Yeah. So uh, some people are assuming oh, this is DLC. Like, when, when they add DLC, this is where you access it. That's what people are guessing. Uh, I haven't looked too deeply, but I Googled it. Golden Stargazer. And 
people are like, what do you do with this? And people are guessing DLC or, or something or an update or whatever. But um, isn't, that really a thing? isn't that a thing with these Souls games I, I, where people I, I, don't know how to Souls access games, DLC? <laughs> um, not, I mean, some Souls games like Bloodborne and like Dark Souls... Two, I think, or was it Dark Souls One? Have like really obtuse ways to access their DLCs because it has to be like done. Like it's a very specific trigger to open the path uh, to them. But there's nothing really in the base games when they release that like kind of like tease what the DLC is gonna be. There's not there's not usually a thing in the game that's like put in there that's like, hey, you can't interact with this yet um, until maybe a future thing. I don't think they've really done that. If I remember correctly, like. Like even even like in like Elden Ring, which we know DLC is coming, but there's nothing really in Elden Ring that like you can't that's uninteractable because of DLC. Yeah, um, I mean people are making that assumption. So yeah, I mean you know uh, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Like uh, I don't know. Uh, like I'm thinking of like yeah, I'm just thinking no, I can't I can't think of anything like in this whole series that's like really done that sort of similar thing in their base. Yeah, I'm just I'm just quickly Googling again and people are like, what do you do with this thing? And people are like, nothing. You can't do anything with it. <laughs> but it's very obvious that like it's interactable and if you try interacting with it, it basically says like you can't do anything. It's like what? <laughs> so it's not it's not just like sitting there as like a like a prop in the world. It's literally like an interactable object that just doesn't do anything. So yeah. Sorry. But yeah, a pretty good game uh, as far as my opinion is worth. So, I played a handful of these off-brand Souls-like, and this is probably one of the best, better ones I've played. So, I'm still not far enough into it to really talk about it in length, but I am also in a similar boat where I'm like, I'm starting to start uh, playing games for uh, end-of-the-year stuff and like games that like people have really said like a lot of good things about. But like on, on my end of the spectrum, it's a, l- a lesser-known game called Wandering Sword. It's a, it's a game I've talked about. On this podcast, this was like kind of the the, the Chinese developed HD two D wuxia style um, game that had like a battle system uh, that was sort of like live alive uh, and turn based mode, but it also has like a real time mode that you can uh, toggle into as well in the game. So I, I picked that up on sale. I, I just um, barely started it. I heard a lot of great word of mouth about it, and th- there's something that I'm really looking forward uh, forward to, like as I played the game because people seem to be. Uh, very very positive about this game, and just like um, Lords of the Fallen and um, and Lies of P, it also has its roadmap to enhance the game even more. Uh, there's already some several quality of life features added to the game, like a like a map that you can use to like see where like, all the cities and towns are. Yeah, I'll get back to playing it too. Um, I kind of just stopped playing it because the controller I used, the game just didn't support it for some weird reason, so I had to play with the mouse. Is that your Wii U controller? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't support it. Okay, then I tried yeah. a different controller, then it's like, oh, I feel like half my buttons didn't work. So I just kind of got a little frustrated that, you know, the controls I want to use to play. The controller support is, uh, is kind of wonky. I don't know if you can rebind them, but then, like, the, I, I play with the controller and, like, my, my DualShock 4 works fine, but, like, it, it is the, the way it's implemented isn't, like, as tactile as I want it to be. Like, when you're, like, uh, like pressing, uh, like, to move to, like, a certain part of the, like, the, the battlefield, like, on the grid, like, when you're when you're moving around to press a grid, like it feels unresponsive. It, like you have to like kind of wait like half a second for like the button to register for it to like move onto like the grid. It doesn't feel as nappy as like some other games might be. So like the controller support that is kinda iffy. 
And if you try to play in controller, talking to the characters are kind of annoying too because the dialogues, it's like too big to fit in the box. So you have to like scroll it down in order to read the whole entire text. You know what I'm saying? I I I don't know like if they if they if they if that's a recent uh, adjustment thing because I haven't uh, like I'm still early on in the game. I don't, like the. The mentor dude just kind of kicked the bucket, so I'm still very early on. But I haven't, I haven't had a an issue with the dialogue box yet, where um, I, it's like I had to scroll down or whatever, because uh, they in the options they provided actually like a dialogue size option, whether you want small, medium, or big. Um, I don't know if that was their on launch or not. That's an option mm. there now. But so yeah, that, that was that was a thing for me because and if you, I was playing a controller, so during that time it didn't. It didn't have any way to scroll down. I think. I think now it's like you just press the right analog stick and just hold it down to scroll it down, oh, which maybe. is kind. Of, but yeah, I I had to use the keyboard and mouse to play this game, which kind of annoyed me because I don't like playing with a mouse and keyboard. At least mm-hmm. that's for me. Mm-hmm. But well, I'll, I'll get back to it. it. It seems very interesting. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to you know putting more time into that. That's what I'll be uh, working on. I also. Picked up a game called Dave the Diver. I'm sure a lot of people uh, know what that is, and it seems to be a very popular game that came out uh, this year. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things. A lot of people have had fun with it. I want to know what it's about. Steam says it's an RPG. From everything we've seen, it doesn't seem like an RPG, especially in the traditional sense. But it's still, you know, a, a fun game that, that people have, you know, have come to consensus on. Like, hey. If, if, even if there's an RPG or not, there's a fucking fun ass game. Like, uh, right. The word that I hear thrown around a lot for that is addicting. Something mm. about its loop is addicting. Mm. I love addicting games. All right, moving on. That was Lies of P. Uh, James, you picked up. Oh, you your Steam OLED arrived uh, this week, and you've been messing around with it. Uh, tell us about this new uh, revision to the Steam Deck. All right. Yeah. So obviously last week uh, we talked a bit about uh, the announcements, uh, some of the stuff that uh, was it last week or the week before this last week. Yep. Yeah. So basically we talked a bit about how uh, Valve had announced a revision. I can listen to that previous podcast for all the uh, little details that they shared. Uh, So I got my limited edition model in a couple of days ago and I've been playing around with it for a bit. Uh, First off, there have been a lot of reports of folks having dead pixels specifically well, on both models, but a lot of folks with the limited edition. I'm not sure if that's because the limited edition has some issues with the screen because it seems to be using a different supplier for the panel than the rest of the Steam Decks. Or it could be that the majority of people that are buying a Steam Deck OLED at launch might be more predisposed to be getting the limited edition. So there's just more reports that way. Uh, Also, for all the people that have been reporting dead pixels, if you look on like the Reddit threads and the recent era threads and all that sort of stuff, most of the people in those threads are saying that they've been just fine. So I don't know. Your mileage may vary. I've checked my screen. I haven't found any dead pixels. So even if there is one and I just haven't seen it, it's not in a spot where it's noticeable. So I'm just... I'm fine, but uh, just figure I'd mention that like off the bat. Um, another thing that people found out is that so one of the things that Valve said was that the OLED model Steam Deck was actually lighter than the original by about 30 grams, which is 5%, not major, but enough to be noticeable. And 
on Reddit, like almost immediately after people started getting their uh, OLED decks in, somebody noticed because they had ordered a limited edition for themselves and then a 512 gigabyte OLED for their, I think, girlfriend or wife. Uh, they noticed that the limited edition was noticeably lighter than the regular OLED. And so they used the scale and multiple people now like basically verified that for whatever reason, Valve didn't say it, but the limited edition model is an another is another 20 grams lighter than the OLED. So compared to the original, it's like 50 grams lighter, which is absolutely noticeable. Uh I was always one of those people that was like, yeah, yeah, the Steam Deck is heavier than most handhelds, but it's not that bad. But I'm just going to say it right now, like just like within minutes of holding the new model, I don't want to touch that LCD model ever again, not just because of the screen, but because of the weight. And like I was talking about before, the weight distribution is just so much better. It's like I can actually use like before. When I was playing it, like subconsciously, I'd kind of like rest it on my legs if I was sitting down because it would help like with the weight. Now yeah. I can just hold it up and I'm I don't have any strain because it's like it's almost like I think it's like eight percent lighter, which, again, doesn't sound like a lot, but it really helps. That's yeah. huge. Like for me, like when it comes to like, I don't know, let's say the Vita, for example, even though the 2000 models lost the OLED screen. I just love how much lighter and how much comfortable that is. And, you know, the charging and everything else. It's like, I would just stick with that, you know? Yeah. Ironically enough, I actually prefer the original model uh, Vita because of uh, the fact that it feels more comfortable to hold ergonomically because the 2000 model for some games is better, but the 1000, because it's a bit thicker, it's easier to get a grip and it's, and it's not really like kind of straining your actual hands but I have big hands, so that might be part of it. But anyways, back to the uh, Steam Deck. Um, so yeah, I've been using it. Uh, the screen, as Valve said, is an OLED panel. It's up to 90 hertz. Uh, the first game that I tried on it was uh, Star Ocean 2, the second story R. Uh, so when that launched earlier this month, I was in the middle of uh, reviewing Persona 5 Tactica. So I hadn't gotten around to it and by the time i was getting ready to start it was when valve announced the oled model so i figured i'll just wait until i get that to start it absolutely was the right decision um in battles and in towns you can get 90 fps no problem uh the world map for whatever reason seems to like to lock itself to 60 so i'm just sticking to 60 fps overall for the better battery life but it looks incredible on that screen like it's just yeah i mean that seems like a game you know it's very colorful a very shiny game (laughs) yeah but yeah so i mean the i'm sure like the 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 deeper blacks the more vivid color quality just everything just pops out i imagine yeah and uh, since uh and since each like pixel is individually lit you can actually turn the game like the end game brightness down quite a bit and you're still able to have readability. It's not HDR, like proper HDR, but just because of like the way that OLEDs work, it really helps with the contrast and it looks really good. But um, yeah, I've been enjoying that. I also downloaded a couple of other games, uh, some stuff that I already had on my previous Steam Deck, some that I didn't have enough space for to feel comfortable downloading. Like I installed Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate on there. Uh, mm. And that game actually has HDR. Uh, getting it working on the OLED deck right now is a little bit 
confusing for two reasons. One, because Valve only recently added in support for HDR to Proton, the version of Proton that the game defaults to when it was verified is Proton 7.0-4, I believe. And that doesn't have have support for HDR. If you enable it in-game, it's just going to be washed out. So you need to manually switch it to the latest stable version of Proton 8.0-4. Then HDR will uh, will work. Uh, I don't know if you need to specifically uh, set a launch option to force it to, to launch in DirectX 12. When I was troubleshooting, I did put that in there, and it won't hurt because you're going to need DirectX 12 anyways for the HDR to function. Um, but yeah, I booted it up because I was halfway through a playthrough that I uh, started and prep for the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth preview event that was in September. And uh, so I booted it up, messed with some of the uh, HDR settings to get it uh, set up properly. Uh, that's one of the things with HDR is that it's great when it works, but sometimes the games aren't really properly configured out of the box. Uh, thankfully, Final Fantasy VII Remake's HDR settings are relatively self-explanatory. You've got peak luminance, um, um, minimum luminance, uh, and, and that's not the exact uh, word they use, but it's like basically as br- like the peak brightness and the minimum brightness for the panel you can set. So I set that to zero and ten, and then you have the setting for basically the paper white brightness of the game. And by default, that's at ten, but that makes it look washed out. So you actually want to set it pretty low, to like mm-hmm. four, like three or four, because then that'll set like let's say. The panel can get up to a thousand nits. If you set it to three or four, that's going to, I assume, be around 300, 400 nits for the average parts of the screen. And then because of the luminance factor, it can still go brighter than that for the highlights. And it can go dimmer than that for the dark section. So just a little bit of tip for anyone that has picked up a NOLED Steam Deck and is trying to figure out how exactly to get HDR to look right on your on your uh, system. Um, but yeah, and it's like I downloaded the um, dynamic resolution removal mod. I set it to high settings by notch down shadows to low resolution because you really can't tell the difference on the screen. And then I uh, capped it at 40 FPS and it runs perfectly. It looks great. It looks sharp. It runs really, really well. So it's like I think I'm going to finish up that playthrough on, on the other deck. How are you in that game? Uh, just finished up uh, chapter eleven. Okay, well, I just got a long ways I'd to s- go. No, you're well, right. I mean, it's pretty close to the end. Yeah, it's yeah, like seven so, more chapters, isn't it? Well, well, seven more chapters, but it's like one of those games. Like just looking at it, it's like it's one of those games where it's a bit front loaded, and like a lot of RPGs have this thing where the last couple of chapters are shorter because it's like once you hit a certain point, it's kind of like. It's like a roller coaster. It's just yeah. like snowball rolling downhill. Yeah, you only have a yeah. couple of hours left, really. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's runs great. I also already had like Monster Hunter World on my previous stack. I installed it on this one and HDR looks great there. But yeah, it's like the combination of the much better battery life. I Like I said, like I had Star Ocean 2, the second story R capped at 60 FPS for the battery life. I get like 50, well, not sorry. I get like five hours of battery life. From a full charge, which considering it's 60 FPS and it that's really good. <laughs> like, I don't know what the battery life is specifically on switch, but I'm sure that's like 
30 FPS, a bit lower settings. It looks great, runs great. And like I said earlier, like the difference in battery life, it's really, really noticeable. And it, and, and it makes it easier to just use it without stressing about, oh, I'm going to have to be right next to an outlet if I'm playing a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake, which, by the way, on the settings I've been using, it seems to have about three hours, which, again, is really good for like it's a current generation game because it's yeah. a version. It's based off the PS5 version. I kind of see this device as kind of like an entry level HDR. Like if you don't know of like a really like what what you're doing with HDR, if you should commit or not to like getting an HDR setup. I think this is like a really interesting, affordable device to kind of just dip your uh, feet into like what HDR looks like, uh, especially like on like, on the go. Like, I you want to know. Something- you want you want to know something that I'm really hopeful will happen. Mm-hmm. So a lot of devs, especially recently, have very clearly been testing their games on Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. When I reviewed Persona 5 Tactica, one of the things I pointed out was that the game actually knows when it's being run on Steam Deck and will automatically call the software keyboard whenever you need to use it. And recently, Monster Hunter World was patched to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, If devs are going to continue developing for Steam Deck, I hope they pick up an they pick up an OLED version, which again they start at like 550 for an OLED Steam Deck, and it is a proper HDR display, peak 1000 nits. It's OLED. It has really great contrast. One of the main problems that HDR and PC has right now, well, it's two things. One, up until recently, there haven't been proper HDR displays that are worth a damn on PC. It's only been within the last year with the advent of uh, mini LED and proper OLED panels that aren't just using a fucking LG TV that there's monitors worth buying if you specifically want to use HDR on PC. Uh, Windows 11 has a lot of issues, but the software side of things on Windows 11 is a lot better for HDR these days, too. And the other thing is that devs, a lot of those older HDR implementations, because there wasn't like if you're developing on PC and you're you're using monitors in development up until recently, you haven't had a proper HDR display to test to make sure that your HDR implementation is actually worth a damn. Mm-hmm. So what? So like I'm saying, it's like I'm hoping devs pick up an OLED Steam Deck, and I hope they test their HDR implementations on it because 550 bucks is actually pretty cheap for a reference HDR monitor, and I think it could. I I hope I'm not saying this will happen, but I hope that it could be kind of like an entry point for even like smaller developers if they want to support HDR but they don't know how it's supposed to look. If you can get it looking right on an OLED Steam Deck, that's better than like 90% of HDR implementations right now on both console and PC. So here's hoping. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's if that becomes basically like the default standard of, of Steam Decks like moving forward, like as as they move into like the Steam, like the next iteration of the Steam Deck, um, and that just becomes like the baseline, I think. I, yeah, I, I think the adoption rate has been pretty healthy. And I'll be honest, it only grow. And I'll be honest, I like, sure, maybe they want to make it VRR capable. Maybe they want to give it like 120 hertz for the Steam Deck 2. The base specs of this screen, I don't think they need to change for the Steam Deck 2. Some people will say, oh, I want a higher resolution. But for a handheld, 800p looks just fine. And you don't need to go higher than that. 
I would much rather them focus on the performance and the battery life because visually it looks fine. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I've been in I think a sweet spot. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. I'm going to be selling my LCD Steam Deck ASAP. Uh, if you've been on the fence about a Steam Deck for whatever reason, if you thought, oh, it hasn't had enough support, or if you've been worried about Valve supporting their hardware and software, this is, like, I'd say, like, if you want to get any sort of handheld PC, the OLED Steam Deck is the one I would suggest. Because, yeah, sure, the ROG Ally and the Legion Go are going to be more powerful, but if you actually want to use it as a, like, basically a consoleized PC... They're not like the OLED Steam Deck's battery life has got to be something like at least probably yeah, more than twice as much as like those other two systems. It's insane just how much of a difference that makes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you, if you value the portability factor and not having to like go, always be wired up to like a nearby outlet while you're playing a game, this seems to be the, the way to go. Yeah, for, for extended play times, you know, just uh. In general, like you, you can rely on Valve for like future support, like down the line, like five years, five to seven years down the line. Like, Steam uh, controller still gets updates. Like yes. uh, for, uh, the how the Steam Link just got an update a few months ago. So it's like they support their stuff with software at least. And the Steam Deck has been successful enough. I mean, they've already said they're going to make a Steam Deck too. So it's like, yeah. I mean, I was already a big fan of the Steam Deck, but like they said, this feels like the fully realized vision of what they wanted at launch. The software is in a much better space. The hardware is in a much better space. One little thing that I didn't even mention. When you were playing a like, particularly demanding game on the original Steam Deck, the back of the unit would get really, really hot. Yes. And, if you tr- and if you tried to use any of the grip buttons, it would be immediately noticeable because you could accidentally touch one of the hot spots. And it's like you wouldn't burn yourself, but it would be uncomfortable. That's another thing that's different with this one. Because of it using less power overall, it doesn't get that hot. Like, it feels, like, warm, but not uncomfortably so. It just feels like how warm, like, a Switch gets. It Literally everything that I had complaints about with the original has basically been fixed. And that's just within, you know, uh, pretty much a year (laughs) since the original Steam Deck came out, so... So, well, almost two, because it almost. came out in February uh, last year. Yeah. Okay. It's about a year and a half. You know, we'll see. We'll see. This is uh, the Steam Deck project has really paid off for them, and I think it's been really healthy for just the industry overall. Yep. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks for the initial report on the Steam Deck OLED. I'm sure. Um, I'm actually curious. Like what? What RPGs uh, like officially support HDR um, now with the Steam Deck OLED? Uh, as a... I I should ask Alex if he thinks it would yeah, be worth making making an article be, about it. That'd be interesting because because I don't know like, I don't really keep up with HDR at all, and I'm interested. Like now that it's like now that Steam Deck OLED is like a much more affordable and like easier gateway into uh, the HDR space. Like having like a handy list of like oh these RPGs support HDR from the get go. It's like oh okay if I, I was ever to pick up this or a Steam Deck two that you know obviously will have an OLED panel and will support HDR. Like I would want to have a reference list of like oh I actually want to see it for myself because I don't really I haven't really dabbled into HDR yet. I see it. Yeah, I know that um, 
Elden Ring supports it. I know it's not an RPG, but also Armored Core. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Liza P supports HDR. There we yep. go. Yep, I know Liza P does. Uh, Final Fantasy 15 does. Uh, oh, does it? Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm looking because there's a PC gaming wiki list of games. It's not perfect. There's some on here that don't actually support HDR. Like it lists Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy 14. It doesn't. It supports auto HDR on Windows 11, but it doesn't have like a native HDR. So there are HDR some component. games that say they support HDR. And I'm like, really? Uh, like, for example, I don't know why I remember this one, but when Xseed ported East Memories of Salsetta to PC, there's like an I'm HDR no toggle. I'm like, there's no way this game actually has HDR. You're just like saturating colors or something. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. It's a Vita game. Uh, this won't run on Steam. Well, maybe it can now if you cap it at 30 FPS. But Wild Hearts has a decent HDR implementation. But it's also oh, okay. one of the it's also one of those games where like the default settings are kind of. That's one of the things with HDR. You're going to most games. You're going to have to do a few settings tweaks to make it look as good as it can be. Uh, some games like Worry and the World uh, and the uh, World of the Wisps will look really good. I think it's World of the Wisps for. Or was it the yeah yeah that's the second one okay but yeah it's like some games will look really good wait apparently octopath traveler one supports hr two doesn't does does one actually support hr something to try out i um so oh you can oh you can actually force it in the uh i and i file i bet you could probably do that for octopath two because it's an unreal engine game so you Mm. can hmm, interesting so oh, yeah, like 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 a, like a handy list like that like already has it like as an option available, and if it's real, and one is ones that have like so you have to like kind of enable it through an INI file. Be a pretty handy list for people who you know want to want to give that a go. I, I think I think though since I, I'm a neophyte to HDR, so when it comes to like configuring HDR settings per game, does it remember the settings per game, or is it something you tweak manually every time? Uh, it will remember it per game. It's just okay. like it's it's game settings. Like the screen okay. itself, the only thing you have to worry about is the screen, like max brightness, and that's basically it. Just uh, anything specifically for individual games is going to be like a graphic setting that you okay. change in game. Got it. Okay, cool. So that was the Steam Deck OLED. Uh, thank you for the report, James. Quick addendum. Uh, uh, yeah. So first of all, Liza P does support HDR, and it just gives you a, a brightness and a contrast slider. So it doesn't really let you set like like your luminescence or whatnot, but you can set those two sliders for HDR to your liking. Um, but I was actually just messing with it just now on and off. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people, when they think about HDR, they think of like brighter colors. But like in a game like Liza P, when I turn off HDR, it's actually like, everything is brighter when you turn HDR off because it's such a, you know, it's a game like set at night and in dark places, but like um, it's the contrast in those darker blacks and grays that really pop out when you have the HDR on too, um, with yeah. like the individual light sources around here and there. Whereas when you turn HDR off, it's just kind of all a similar tone, brighter, but yeah. less contrast. So yeah, that's the thing that is kind of like a misnomer of HDR. I feel like a lot of people still have where it's like everyone always talks about, ooh, look at how bright it can get with HDR when it's like, yeah, the highlights are like neat, but that's not the main reason you want HDR. You want the contrast within the same image because like by default in SDR, the game doesn't have it isn't like 
detailing any like, okay, this part of the screen needs to be specifically dimmer than the other. This part needs to be brighter. Yeah, you'll have different colors. And on like an OLED display, like I was saying with uh, Star Ocean, the second story R, you'll get better contrast just based off of the fact that like OLED as a panel technology, like each pixel is self like lit. So if a part of the screen's black, it's going to be black. But there's not going to be like if the if the pixel's on, there's not going to be any difference in brightness because it's not HDR. If it is HDR, the game's actually telling the panel, okay, this part like these pixels need to be dimmer, these pixels need to be brighter. And it's that like contrast between bright and dark that makes HDR HDR. It's not just about how bright it can get, it's about having that depth to the image. And it's yeah. And also another addendum, I said when I was talking about Lies of P that the director talked about like Korean game development, like like Milestone. I was wrong. It wasn't actually the director of the game who was Jiwon Choi. When when Lies of P sold a million, it was actually the co-CEO of NeoWiz, uh, Sung Choi Kim, hope I pronounced his name correctly, who said, this incredible milestone for Lies of P proves the potential of Korean console games on the global stage. So I, I had referenced that this was said, and I just wanted to get it the actual statement uh-huh. by the actual person. So okay, sounds good. Ciao. Yes, <laughs> uh, I wrote that on our podcast doc that you went on some Black Friday adventures. This is Ciao's Black Friday adventures because you mentioned you actually went out and about uh, with your brother on Black Friday to get some stuff. What? What happened, Chow? What, what happened? happened is our household has this TV with free lines in it, free deadlines. And we hate this TV so much to the point that we tell our dad, let's just get rid of it. We'll buy you a new TV. It has to be. And our dad's really reductant of getting rid of this TV. I don't know why. You can see there's How free deadlines. TV? How old is this TV? Like four years. Okay. My, my dad is, uh, let's just say he doesn't live a very exotic lifestyle hmm. but anyways I, I we were trying to tell him to get rid of it and we told him we, we finally found the excuse to get rid of it we got this black friday deal at was it a uh, real canadian superstore they have this promo where it says that if you spend a hundred dollars you could get forty dollars back in points with their program so if you hmm. buy a tv for eight hundred dollars you get three hundred twenty dollars back in points right huge huge right so we use that excuse to get rid of it so so basically we went there got it but my dad's card uh, in that program apparently i don't know he doesn't know his own password because my my parents are terrible <laughs> with technology <laughs> so they they'd be like oh yeah so let's just reset the password for my dad then you're locked out you can't you can't use your points to buy things for a couple of days because they think that your heart's stolen or something. Oh, God. Security measures. So we're like, oh, fuck. We're, we're spending here for like a couple of hours waiting to get these points to work. And then it's like, oh, shit. But anyways, we got that. We, we just like, screw it. We'll just we'll just save the points for, for another time. And then after that, we kind of like end up going to an electric landfill to throw out all these electronics that we don't need because there's lots of like, <laughs> kind of like junk. I don't know. Like, I guess we we end up hoarding a lot of these electronics for some reason. Mm-hmm. So we, we kind of end up throwing like probably like three TVs out, two keyboards, you know. What if you need them like later? We'll just buy new things. That's <laughs> that's our lifestyle now, I guess. Uh, we, we got that and then bought a bunch of random games. Uh, oh, yeah. 
or Black Friday. I, well, uh, yeah. Anything you want to mention here? Uh, I am uh, triple dipping on a game, which is kind of awkward. Okay, I, okay. I, what, what, which game was this? I, I triple dipped on Azure. Was it Azure Striker Gunvolt Three? Okay. Mm. I, I end up triple dipping. I got like the the Switch version like a long time ago, but now I got like the PS5 version because it's on a Black Friday sale. <laughs> I decided to go for a PC version as well. Uh, it's like a good game. That, it's a good game, but it's like. Do I really need a triple dip? I, the reason I got it on the PS5 is because the guy that always shares game with me, I was like, you know, it's on sale. I can afford it. You can try this. I, I want to introduce him to this series too. So it's like, I have triple dipping on this game for no good reason. Okay. <laughs> but there, there's all that kind of stuff. And then I bought like a new new controller. I got this 8-Bit-Do Ultimate uh, Bluetooth controller. Uh, I just got from Black Friday. What makes it ultimate? Why is it called the ultimate Bluetooth controller? Well, they have a 2.4 gigahertz version, which has, um, what is it? Where you have to use a dongle, but the Bluetooth version is kind of like both features in, in one. It has a Bluetooth feature and a dongle, right? And and it has twice the battery life. And the thing that makes it better, it has uh, hall trigger effect sticks. So you can have sticks that take longer to drift or... It's like an old technology from the Sega Dreamcast days where the technology is less prone to drifting or whatever. <laughs> the old technology. You can read it up. It's, they, they had this um, like... This like, is sort of funny, but for my day job as a scientist, I actually do Hall Effect Analysis, which is something completely different. It's basically when you apply a magnetic field and electrons move in accordance to the magnetic field. Um, I have no idea what that has to do with the analog sticks, although I know they it, exist. It's kind of like the same but... idea because they're using a magnetic thing to, to kind of like uh course correct the stick in case of like yeah. drifting kind of thing but yeah the analysis so, i do is literally just looking at like charge carriers and you move a magnet because that's magnet if you have an electron charged particle in a magnetic field it moves and that is basically the hall effect a uh, very brief version of it so i'm sorry but the, the, the mental image i have now is like uh, adam have get, putting up a, a magnifying glass on child's new controller here <laughs> up to the stick <laughs> but yeah, like this this controller is is actually like amazing. But I was almost thinking about canceling my order because they had a col- collaboration with Genshin. Uh-huh. Uh, it's on a character I do not like. Oh yeah, it's, the character. It's it's, it's Chong Yun. He's he's a Cairo user. And I was talking to my friend all all day about it, and we're like, if this is a Ganyu controller, it would be like instant pre order. Then later on, we're like. We could just pretend it's on your controller. It's blue anyways, or something like that. And then we're like, okay, wait. It's like, it's actually the inferior controller. Now I have an excuse not to buy it then. But, you know, that was, that it, was basically it. It's so funny how they have basically two identically looking versions of that controller, but the only way you can tell which one is the Hall Effect one is if it has the Switch button layout. It's like... Like oh, we actually spent like ten minutes reading the specs. Like, wait a minute, this is the shittier controller. It's like, but they're charging like thirty dollars more. We're like, damn, that's how they get you. But, oh, there's the instance where uh, the branding the controller worked against them because you're like, I don't like this character. Hell, yeah. No. Then, then it's like, if I don't like the character, I'll just pretend that you know it's a Ganyu controller. But then, like, I look at the specs. Like, wait a minute. You're using the shittier specs to trick me. <laughs> it's like, 
Okay. I would okay. I would have loved it if you still got that control and like like uh, like and then like uh, print or tape Ganyu's head over the character. Like it's a Ganyu controller. <laughs> like, you know, if you want money from me, it's like instant money from me. That's but it's like even my friends like if it was a Ganyu controller, that's an instant purchase from me too. But no, <laughs> it's like because of the Tingyu, uh, because of the Changyu controller, we spent like hours debating: should we get this controller? That just reminds you they're they're holding that closed beta for Zenless Zone Zero, right? Uh, so Chow, I know Chow is not a big fan of Zenless Zone Zero so far, right? <laughs> I have a friend who is kind of gave up on Genshin, but got really hooked by Honkai Star Rail, and they're like, "I'm gonna try Zenless Zone Zero, and they don't like it. They got in the beta, <laughs> and they don't like it. <laughs> um, I feel vindicated. I mean, it looks like crap to me, but Josh was playing it. Maybe I heard. I heard yeah, you got I, into I, it. I, I think yeah, I think Josh too got, got into it. I don't know if he likes it or not. I, I I've heard it's it's very it's very very. Some people really like it. Some people really don't. So and and then, and then some people from the outside are like the streamer that I was watching uh, played more of the Snake mini game inside it than the actual action combat of the game itself. So I don't know. Uh, it, uh, seems like it needs more time in the oven. This closed beta, but who knows. Um. Yeah. All right. Nice Black Friday adventures, uh, Chow. I also know that you were uh, playing a little bit of this game called Dead of the Brain. I actually beat it. It has the most hilarious ending ever. Okay. So one, what is it? it Two. Did. Why? Why does it have a hilarious ending? Okay. So I'll, I'll spoil the ending first. It's like, hey, everyone's dead. Do you want to go out for sushi? It's like, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like a amazing ending. Okay. I would love some sushi. Thank you. Everyone's dead around me, but I would love some sushi. But a- anyways, this is um what is it? It's like a erotic uh like zombie novel or uh visual novel. It it plays like Snatcher, let's just say that. Uh, I'm not sure people are familiar with Snatcher is. But Snatcher is like uh it's a visual novel from Konami, made by Hideo Kojima back in the day. Mm. It's basically you basically talk to these people to get clues to where to go, and then sometimes certain parts like you get attacked by somebody, and during the attacking, you basically have to use your light gun to shoot at the enemy to get through the game. And this game kind of carries the same kind of mechanics to get through certain parts. So it's, it's just like a rail shooter or an adventure type game. Uh, I would say both. But okay. the segment with like the shooting parts kind of like very small compared to like the the navigation. But anyways, it's like a zombie. It's like Night of the Living Dead kind of kind of story, right? Basically, this main character is kind of like a deadbeat. He he gets called by the scientist to come to work. He's like, "No, I don't want to go to work." It's like, "I hate you," basically. And then the scientist basically blackmails him, saying that, "Hey, I know you're cheating on your girlfriend, so come on, come, come, <laughs> come to my place." <laughs> so that's kind of like how the intro starts. So he's like, "Okay," so he basically goes to his place, and he basically brought this cat back to life with the serum, but it turns into them like super aggressive, right? And then uh, a cop decides to come in to check out. It's like, "Hey, what's that cat noise that your neighbors keep complaining about?" And and then the cops. You know, the scientist is kind of stupid, in my opinion. He kind of caused this problem at the beginning. He's like, uh, uh nothing really. Uh, so, but he basically told the cop to go check and goes to where the dead cat is. And it basically comes in, 
like a zombie and just slashes the cop's throat and kills the cop. Okay, and that, how does the zombies work in the in this thing? Is that like when a zombie bites you, you turn into one, or like, or is it like only by through through initial infection? Um, the zombie how it works is like okay, they were injected by the serum first, yeah. right? All and right. then once they get infected by the serum, then they then they come back to life as like a zombie version of themselves, and they can only affect like similar creatures. So humans can only affect humans. Cats, oh, cats can only affect cats. But anyways, they killed that cop, and they're like, "Oh my god, we killed some." It's like that cat killed somebody. We're we're basically charged for murder for this cop. What do we do? And they're like, "Well, we could try to use the serum to bring that guy back to life." Okay, and then they brought that back guy back to life and he's like a fucking zombie mm. and then they they kill him anyways they shoot him like five times killed him and he <laughs> ran away but while he's running away the, the was it the the scientists bought a bunch of those life serum with him and for some reason their the laboratory is near a graveyard for some reason okay and while they're is that, running, is that, is that, is that true for you adam is your lab by, by a graveyard i not that i know of okay all right so anyways Anyways, he was in a panic, he drops all the serum, and it looks like all the zombies are brought in by that life serum because it's, you know, he's in the graveyard, you know? Obviously, there's a lot, a lot of reference to, like, other movies in this this kind of novel. I mean, like, the first grave that you see, it says Stephen King. <laughs> That's what it says okay. on the name. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought? Stephen King is a zombie, apparently. Oh. So, but... Anyways, you get through that, they get things, and somehow the whole town's infested somehow for some reason. And the scientist is like, well, it can't be me, because it'll take, you know, a couple, a few hours before this thing started, and there's already, the whole town's filled with zombies. So, obviously, something doesn't add up, right? Mm-hmm. And then the main character's girlfriend somehow is able to survive this zombie apocalypse to run to where, where his house is and and then the story basically goes from you go to the police station to find clues but everyone in the police station's dead and then it goes to was it to the hotel basically that's where they are hiding and there's like several plot twists that comes to mind in this it's like the virus isn't really like spread by the scientists somebody else was behind this and and it goes mm. all kind of shagging. It even gets all like Terminator at the end. For some reason, the final bad guy's a fucking robot. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> so, anyways, that's that's this uh, visual novel. Uh, there, it's like there's a fan translation for the first game for for well, the. What, what system does this release on, and what year did it release in? I think it's 1992. I think it was released on the PC 98. Oh. And then they made like a port for the PC engine. The PC engine basically cuts out the like the nudity. Like there's parts where the main characters he's kind of like a point. Uh, like basically the nudity would be like okay, it's like in the PC engine version, like the girl is still naked, but she probably has her hands like covering her breasts or something, right? Or there's this one part where the main girl gets kidnapped and she's completely nude in like the PC 98 version. But if you play on PC engine, there's like a, like a piece of cloth that's covering her body or something. That's like it. That. No, not, not worth it. But the violence is still there. Like, you know, you get to see people's heads get sliced off and you know, that's still kept in there in, yeah. in the PC engine version for some reason. <laughs> so I guess that's okay. You know, violence is always cool in, in video games, but nudity isn't. So, but and that's basically it. And there's a sequel to this. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently the sequel does not have a translation, but the sequel is like twice as long. 
like you could beat this game in like two hours if you know the where to go. But it's kind of like it's very un in intuitive. It's like playing the first Famicom Detective Club. I'm not sure anybody else plays that besides me and James. You'd be have to like talk to everyone and click every single option before you kind of figure out where to go. So I, I'm yeah. guessing no, nobody, nobody did that. Okay, nope. I remember that criticism. Yeah, yeah. but you basically got to do this. Like one part, I got like stuck very early in the game because it's just kind of like very dumb. It's like, okay, the main character is like the way he interacts. It, it feels so stupid. It's like, oh yeah, I found a gun. But I'm not gonna pick it up because the gun has no bullets. It's like, <laughs> just true. take it. You you can find bullets later. No, I'm not gonna take it. <laughs> Oh, it'll be like that. And, and then there's a certain part I got stuck because it's like you had to examine like this dead corpse's brains because then you could go back downstairs to tell the scientists, like, oh, wait, it's like I found the zombie's weakness. You blow their brains out. Oh, who would have <laughs> guessed? <laughs> but anyways, that's like the zombie game for, for you. It's kind of interesting. It's a lot of movie reference, but certain parts I just feel like, man, this is so stupid. I don't know what I'm doing here. Sounds like a masterpiece, a hidden masterpiece. It's like, but that's dead of the brain for you. <laughs> All right, thanks for sharing that one. Yeah, that's, like you said, that's dead of the brain. I, I feel like I should have shared this during Halloween, but I'm always a month late on things, I guess. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear what your holiday ga- uh, game is like around Christmas. <laughs> then <laughs> it'll be like a Thanksgiving PC '98 game. <laughs> Uh, okay, we had a few articles uh, coming out uh, this week. We have a review for In Stars and Time, and that was reviewed by Junior Miai. Of our, uh, I might try this review. game. I've seen a lot of praise for it in terms of just, like, its heart. It's one of those sorts of indie games where it's just got a lot of heart and character and theming and meaning to it, and it's not that long. And yeah, this came out on the the twentieth. The yeah. developers insert disc five, and this is the sort of like a, a grayscale, not monochromatic. It's not just black and white. It's, it's more desaturated grayscale uh, RPG. And I'm I'm not sure. Is it is it sort of like along the lines of like something like Mother or Undertale? I'm not. I, yeah, exactly I think it, sure. it's in that realm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. in Junior's review, he kind of ironically, not genuinely, called it like. A sad indie game about depression and again that's not he was not genuinely thinking that but you know it's kind of in that realm where it's just like this game has a lot of heart and feeling and meaning to it and you know i don't know how it is it has like a turn-based combat system but it feels like this isn't really like for gearhead rpg fans but more for like you know people who like the characters and the art and whatnot so they're more for the ride rather than mechanics yeah not a mechanics focused game um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious about it because a lot of people who have, I know a handful of people who have played it who like it a lot. So I'm curious. Okay. And, yeah. you know, like I said, opening up this podcast, you know, we have this time of year just kind of just want to get some games under our belt before the end of the year stuff. I have no idea if In Stars and Time will anywhere come anywhere close to end of the year consideration, but I don't know until I play it, you know, like, exactly. and we consider yeah. everything, indie games, it's- Full game, big games, Western. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for us. Yeah. You know, wherever they come from. If you're if you're great, then you're great. Yeah, you know? we we've, we've highlighted several indie games in our end of the year stuff, including like Asalibra last year. So that's, that's I mean, Japanese there's a Switch indie. version that just came out. Yeah. I mean, to 
a week ago. I, I, I tried the Switch version. It is great. It plays just like the PC version. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. I know some people complain in the forums, like, oh, what is the slowdown when you do these attacks? Like, well, you know what? It's the same thing in the PC version. <laughs> Uh, and there's a bite-sized RPGs in Stars in Time. Uh, Junior said it t- took about 12 hours to complete, yeah. and I was like attempting to do every side quest in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. We love small games around here. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then Alex, uh, Big Boss Alex, uh, wrote something for a game called Final Fantasy XV War for EOS. EOS. And we, end we of call, Service? Yeah, we call it War for End of Service. That's right. It's like a mobile spin-off that's sort of like a new empire, and uh, I believe Paige wrote... Uh, no, he didn't... Did Paige write about it? Was, uh, new empire? It was... Uh, I forget which, what they go by now, but Liz... She oh, right, 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 right. I don't, so, uh, Chris, I believe? Chris, okay. yes. yes. Um, they wrote it, and I did not read Alex's piece here on this new one. He kind of amusingly calls it uh, exercise and franchise undermining misery. That sounds pretty bad. But he says, mm-hmm. but it isn't all bad. It's like, okay. I don't know. I think I it's all bad. <laughs> I just, I, I'm sorry, Alex. I just don't care about this game in any direction to read this. Like, I, I forgot <laughs> it even existed. At least you're honest about it. No sugarcoating this incident. Yeah. Um, you know, well, Godspeed to Alex for. Uh, Covering, but but, but apparently, according to like Center Tower or whatnot, that first game, whatever it was called, a new empire was that what it was? Like actually yeah. ranked raked in like a significant chunk of money. Okay, good I, job. I, I, I assume some of those, whoever. yeah, yeah. I assume some of those, you know, some of the money that uh that raked in, some of the I assume the royalty fees all went to Square. Yeah, so. no, yeah, because they license it out. Machine Games, right? That's the developer who makes it. And then I hope I had that right. Yeah, so. Or Machine Zone. I knew that. Oh, Machine uh, Machine Games Zone. I forget. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, I'm not going to oh, tell yeah, you to read this zone. article. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to read this article, but it, 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 you're obligated to uh, mention it. <laughs> I, I, I knew this game like released, but I. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Awesome. Uh, moving on to the news. Um, the big uh, news uh, for this week is that remember that uh, Atelier mobile game that came out earlier this year in Japan? That's getting an official Western release next year uh, under the name Atelier Resleriana. Forgotten Alchemy and the Polar Knight Liberator. Uh, I only I only know two things about this game. Okay. One, apparently the monetization is out of control. I heard right. that in two, the Japanese version was it for a ten roll it costs you six thousand yen. You ruined my joke, Chow. Damn. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I've heard two. two things about this game. One, the monetization is out of control. Two, the jiggle physics are out of control. <laughs> okay, I actually remember this too. That there's like a shake setting in this game. That that, that was like well, I, sometimes I look at the Gotcha Gaming Reddit because it is some of the funniest threads you'll you'll find uh, from people who are very, I guess, they're connoisseurs of the genre. And they were talking about the shake setting 
And there's this video of like the shake setting. Like you, you turn this shake setting into like I don't know a certain setting. Like Adam said, like the fucking jiggle jiggle physics are just like out of control when you set the setting up. Uh, so they're following world. a page from their live to set your age to ninety nine to turn on jiggle physics to the max. Um, but you know, it, if you for actual info on this game, like the the main thing that sep- like that separates this game um, is one Co- um, Gust and Koei Tecmo themselves consider this a mainline game, like in a, unlike Atali online. Yeah, they called like when they were teasing it, they called it like A twenty five, as in this is the twenty fifth Atelier game. So by their definition, it's mainline. Mm-hmm. We didn't decide that they did. So. Yes. Um, two. This is a, this has a dual protagonist system. One is uh, Resna, and the other is Valeria, and they actually have like their own separate party members uh, and throughout this dual storyline. I don't exactly know how the flow of the game is in terms of like how the story structure is, but I assume you know there'll be some stages where you have you see things from Resna's side, and then others you see things from Valeria's side, and whatever separate adventures they're doing. Um, obviously, since this is a mobile gacha game, you roll for characters, and you know, since you know what makes money, uh, characters that already exist in that series. So, you know, pretty much a shitload of Atelier characters, past Atelier characters, show up this game. You have Ryza, Fierce, Eska, Logi, um, Morona, Tatori, um, Keith Griff, Esty, etc. Um, and they just add more and more uh, on the Japanese release as well. Um, and it is, you know, it looks like what a mobile gacha game has. It has stages where you can grind, stages that you can uh, consume stamina on. Um, there's, uh, like, there's going to be a, a synthesis system in this game. I, I feel like every time I read about this game, there's always, like, controversy about the monetization or something. Commercials that... <laughs> <laughs> that makes people outrage. Everything there's always something like negative when I hear about this game. When I read the the gotcha subreddit about this, yeah, um, uh, it it probably makes them bank either way, <laughs> for for better or for worse. It, uh, seems to be probably doing well over. There. So I mean, it, it but the, the interesting part about it is it's not only just coming to mobile device; it's also getting a PC via Steam release. It did also in Japan as well. So. It's interesting seeing that, like, hey, this, you know, this this gotcha game is also just coming. It seems like day and date with its um, mobile release, which more and more games are starting to do. Not necessarily through Steam, but their own PC clients. Like, Reverse nineteen ninety nine was a was a game that, like, day and date, it launched with its PC client. And more and more past games have been getting PC clients. Like, Another Eden eventually got a PC client. Plus, Claudia. Uh, Punishing Grey Raven. Uh, Ever Crisis is getting one. Yes, Ever Crisis. Isn't that out? Or it's not. It, um, PC version's not out yet. Yeah, they, that's the, the that's a Steam release coming to Ever Crisis. The Steam page popped up. Yeah. So, so it seems like more and more just like like mobile first games are also starting to consider just releasing their stuff on PC. You know, probably an easy way to get more revenue. As well, they'd have to deal with the certification process that um, consoles have. You know, it is what it is. 
So that's coming. Uh, the global release of Atelier Resliana uh, coming sometime next year. For Atelier fans, there's your next Atelier game. Right, James? Yes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I'm looking, I'm trying to look it up right now. This It's probably worth noting that this game is not being like uh, supported or run by like Koei Tecmo's Western branches. Yes, this from uh, it's being done by Akatsuki Games and it and like Koei Tecmo Japan. Like when we got when we got the uh, like the you know the press release on this, like we have emails for like people at Koei Tecmo Koei Tecmo as like our contacts. It's not like the Western Koei Tecmo branches. I don't know if those accounts, those Twitter accounts or whatever, have even like posted about this. Like it's kind of a separate thing. I don't quite actually know in terms of. Exactly how Honest, it's being handled. Honestly, from the sounds of it, that might be a good sign for folks that actually want to play this. If it's being handled by the Japan side, that might suggest there's a possibility it's worldwide servers. I don't know if it will uh, because it's coming so late. They usually don't. Do, they do, they usually don't merge them. Uh, like maybe eventually down the line they merge them, depending on like if the Western releases start to dwindle, they have to accelerate content, but. Since there's content disparity right away, I don't think it matters. It had to be something like Dragalia Lost, where like, like it had a worldwide simultaneous release, so there was no need to, um, you know, discriminate between both um, the the servers for it. So I don't know. I don't know. Um. So yeah, that. I'm, I'm just quickly scrolling down the Koei Tecmo Europe. Uh, oh no, so they, they retweeted the announcement, but okay. it still feels like it's separate. Like, for example, just back, you know, uh, the I uh, think it's a separate Western server. The press release that we got it was from a different, we, it wasn't from where we normally get information from Koei Tecmo games, like Atelier or Fate Samurai or Neo or Wolong or whatever. It was from like a different place. So it's it yeah. like it's being handled and marketed from like a different team. Uh, like like yeah, like it's it's very it's actually pretty rare for a, a game to like actually have like unified servers worldwide. Like even mm-hmm. games like say Aethergazer that had that pretty much released uh day and date on um between the Japanese and global release, their update times are totally separate and 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 so like banners will start earlier in the Japanese server than the global server on that and that's just how their update cycle is even though there was there was some game that released recently, I'm trying to remember what it was, where they announced like like a European version and a North American version, but they were being handled by totally different groups and they even had to like put a disclaimer on their website. I'm trying to remember what that was. Ah, shoot. Oh, no. Was it was this also was this also a mobile game? I think so. No. It was very I weird. I don't remember it. Very weird. Yeah, the mobile game market's very weird in general. <laughs> Um, we also got uh, an announcement of, of a brand new uh, game from Nippon Ichi Software. It is a roguelike strategy RPG called Bar Stella Abyss, and this is uh, set to release in Japan on February 29th for PS5, PS4, and Switch. This is a really neat looking game that I hope uh, gets. I'll release sometime next year. Next year, uh, you've worked Usually, with this, NIS uh, America is pretty good at localizing their yeah. NIS games, with the exception of some of like the visual novel stuff. So, hopefully, 
Yeah, so I, I, I briefly skimmed through this when it was uh, you know first uh, brought up on Gamatsu, and then you and Kite worked on it for RPG site. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this Barstella Abyss game. So it's it seems like a mix between some of those like bar or coffee simulators. There's uh what Coffee Talk. I haven't played mm-hmm. these. There's Coffee Talk, and there's like um, Valhalla oh. or whatever. Yes. Um, which are, you know, I haven't played these, but, you know, they're sort of like dialogue simulators sort of things with patrons and whatnot, as far as I understand. But this sort of like takes that concept, which is there, and then kind of mixes it in with like a roguelike dungeon crawler. And it is a roguelike in that it, there, it does talk about a system where you go into a dungeon and then like when you are defeated, you kind of fall back and you make some progress, but you lose some progress. I, you know, I don't know exactly how it all works at this point. I can't use the term drunk world. But no, yes, when... so you end up going into like this dream world dungeon because you're at a bar and you're drinking with your patrons and like depending on how and how much you drink you end up getting drunk and you go into the drunk world. I, I guess it's called like, the world is called like Yo no Sekai, which okay. is like translating that Yo or Yoi word Apologies, mm-hmm. I don't speak Japanese. It's like a pun on It can be a pun drunk, that right? can mean drunk. So like drunk world is what we're calling it. We don't know what it'll be localized as, but it's a world that it could be like the stupor world or something. I don't know. Um, it's interesting like, like how would you rate this in the West, right? Because like there's probably a high possibility oh, this yeah. might be rated M. Yeah, M just for all the alcohol. Because I know you can have some alcohol in a team game, but I don't know if it's like focus on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But um, but yeah, there's like a, a roguelike dungeon crawling system to it. There's like ten different patrons that you can uh, discuss or you can talk with, and when you, they can like tag along with you in the dungeon. It's actually a, a tactical RPG, so there's like a grid and everything. Um, so there's shops that you can buy stuff with. Let's see, I'm looking through his uh. And it's the general art style and like and like character design like is very striking. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Is, is it the Caligula character designer? It kind of looks like the Caligula. I'm not hundred percent sure because they because they have kind of have like that that pale demeanor uh, on them, but it's uh, but it's very expressive as well. So uh, yeah, if you if you haven't seen this game yet, uh, definitely go check out uh, our post on it. There's a lot of screenshots on it with the characters, a teaser trailer. And um, yeah, uh, crossing my fingers that this will get released next year. Yeah, some of these, some of these uh, visuals are like, ah, man, (laughs) the art style is pretty, pretty striking. Yeah, and you know, once again, like we mentioned it like damn near every time, but like you know, Nice is very good at like kind of just like putting, but developing just like brand new IPs, pretty much. Like they just don't stick to this Gaia and like the and just like long running series. They just. They usually go for just like brand new things without any predecessor behind them. It's really cool. Yeah, they just they just announced a new a different game that's not an RPG at all. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'm... They have <laughs> one second. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that, that... well, they have Cicatrice, like which released, which is kind of a weird looking RPG, but it's interesting. What is that? Cicatrice. There's, yeah, we covered it. <laughs> What's that? Wait, how do you wait? How do you spell that? I, I, oh, oh, that's oh, that, that starts with X. That's yeah. right. The okay. one with the really, really good box art. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I remember now. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
because I was like cicatrice because I was thinking of S. I was like, what? No, I X I C A T T R I C E. Yeah, and that's like the one. It's a French word, or it's based off a French word. So I apologize if I didn't pronounce it properly. Okay, yes, that's right. That was them. And then, then they also announced this other game. Uh, Which one? Competitive puzzle game. The Google translation is Creation Puzzle Yumero Yuram. Like, I don't know. Also, just a quick uh, quick um, correction. Uh, Zictatris is an RPG. You can actually no, tell yeah, by... I said that was an RPG. This one was Ah, right. So, ah, that one, yeah. But yeah, okay. I, anyway, my point was is that... <laughs> I agree with Josh, and we talked about it before how NIS just releases a bunch of these kind of like new and different things. Sometimes they work well. Sometimes, like I like the uh, Void Terrarium. They made a sequel to that. I never played it. Um, then they sometimes they don't work so well, like Poison Control. That game is bad. Um, but I just appreciate, you know, they're not just stuck in like this is the only franchise we ever do mode. Yes. Which some... interesting. So. On Amazon Japan, at least based off of the ratings, it seems like people really do like Zikatris. So curious okay. to see how that uh, sh- shakes out when it comes west, because it's like four and a half stars out of five, which for oh, Amazon Japan wow. is actually yeah. a good sign. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Can vouch. Yeah. Every <laughs> game sure. that you get more than four stars in, in Amazon Japan, that's almost like a game of the year material. I, I can vouch for that. <laughs> Apparently the French word is pronounced cicatrix. Okay. But, and, and then but the, get, this game does like the X in front of it, so whatever that means. The the one that you mentioned, the the following block was the Yumeiro uh Yumeiro Yuram. That's the that's also by uh the Boy Terrarium uh, character designer, Masayuki yeah. Kuria. Oh, this is a puzzle game. Yeah, competitive yeah. puzzle game. Oh then and as America will probably actually localize this one. <laughs> it seems like the only games NIS America doesn't always localize are some of like the visual and yeah. adventure typey games. So. Mm-hmm. so maybe we'll hear a lot more from Nippon Ichi Software America here. Yeah, they have a they have a jam packed next year. <laughs> next year. Yep. Because they also they have the, they also have Trails of the Daybreak Daybreak. Trails of the Daybreak. And they're gonna yeah. announce East Ten any moment now. That's right. Any moment. Tomorrow. 2025. <laughs> I mean, 2025 hey, I mean, at the earliest. <laughs> I mean, they've cleared up a bit of their schedule. They've gotten all. They've gotten past the crossbell hump. They, 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 they got the, the Disgaea 7 this year, so. Fuck, yeah. we, need to get to, so we need to get some people at Disgaea 7 before the end of the year. Has anyone besides Junior played that? <laughs> no, I haven't been able to. I, I'm not oh, going to play more fuck. Disgaea until they put 3 I, on Steam. <laughs> Well, Adam, Adam, That's not happen. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Sky of 3, both the PS3 and the Vita version emulate well. So just you have a Vita, no, right? I actually so, own the Vita version. Yeah. So that, then just dump your Vita just, copy and yeah. then put emulator on PC. <laughs> Adam's not going to do that. Is Vita emulator even that good at the state? I was actually surprised. Like uh, about a couple of weeks ago, I uh, took a look at the compatibility list for it because the last time I checked, it was like they were starting to get into game. Let me put it this way: Muramasa Rebirth and all the DLC now works perfectly on Vita 3K. They oh, fixed shit. the last bug last month. Mm. So interesting. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh. Lo- Localization companies, uh, 
Aquai- uh, P-Cube uh, announced that uh, Class of Heroes 1 and 2 Complete Edition is coming to PS5, Switch, and PC next year. Uh, this is uh, a double pack featuring uh, both the Class of Heroes Anniversary Edition and Class of Heroes 2G Remaster Edition. And they'll be... Um, they're, they're be both available separately digitally. It's it so, seems like it, it's kind of like those NAS America packs where you can buy like the dual pack release, which might get a physical release, but then like on Steam yeah. you can just there are pages for the, each of these games just kind of individually. Not to be, not to be depressing, but it, is Vic Garland even still alive at this point? Uh, I, 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 be, I believe that there's an all new translation for this. I believe Steiner. Uh, yeah, well, is, well, Steiner is head of localization yeah, for PQ. Yeah. Yep. Sounds like oh Ste- yeah Steiner's doing a whole new translation. Sounds like Vic Ireland is more or less retired. I mean yeah he's just out of the spotlight. Um, I'll just remind people that Gaijin Works did announce Class of Heroes three. It was coming. It never did. <laughs> they never even canceled mm-hmm. it. They just kind of fizzled. Um, maybe, but maybe that's the reason why uh, Steiner. I'm assuming is the one that pushed for this. Maybe he thought, "Fuck it, I'll do it myself." <laughs> But, um, well, also, like, T-Cube has worked with Acquire before. They did the Labyrinth of Zengetsu release, right? And that was right. also Acquire. Oh, okay. So P-Cube and Acquire must have some sort of working relationship. Now, this is... I'm trying to remember this. Acquire announced, like, a year ago, roughly, that Class of Heroes 2 specifically was getting a remaster. That was, like, the two... So th- these games get a little bit confusing. They were first released on, like, PSP. They're PSP games. And then they got, like a first round remaster where they called like classic heroes 2g and that was on ps3 and then this is like a remaster of the remaster um but then also this p cube announcement adds in classic heroes 1 which i don't think that ever got a remaster announced so like they call that they're calling this the anniversary edition so it's kind of a weird dual pack where one of these games was already announced and one of them i think is new um in terms of this compilation release but regardless, the end result is that Class of Heroes 1 and 2, the most complete, newest versions of those games, are going to be available for PlayStation, Switch, and PC. Uh, Class of Heroes yeah. 3 is still Japanese only, as far as I know. So, so at least we're one step closer, I guess, of this release. <laughs> yeah, by the way, if you're not aware, Class of Heroes is like a dungeon crawler. So it's first person. Yes. It's kind of like, you know, Etrian Odyssey or any sort of first-person dungeon crawler. Obviously, it's got, like, a school theme to it, if you couldn't tell, like, Classic Heroes. Um, I've never played them. I know uh, Zach reviewed at least one of them. Uh, I played one of them on PSC, but I, I, but only for a little bit. I don't know if it was one or two, to be honest. I have a mild interest in this, just because I've played a lot of dungeon crawlers. I don't think I've heard, like, excellent things about these games, but nothing, like, terrible yeah, They're, either. like, pretty okay yeah. games. Like, you know, they're, they're on PSP, right? Like, you're, you're at, at the time, like, your your what was available on the system was, like, pretty limited. <laughs> yeah, when was, I, in, in I, 2010 I, or 9 or whenever, when these games released, there weren't a lot of console JRPGs, so... Yeah, not... I don't think after hearing people gas at fucking Dungeon Travelers 2, I can trust people's, like, uh takes on dungeon rpgs anymore i just need to see it for myself <laughs> and dungeon travelers 2 wasn't even bad it was just like people said oh it's the best one the vita no it's not stranger of sword city's better what's better well i think james and i tend to agree i think 
uh, Stranger at Source City and Undernotch are probably the best two um, experience games. They kind of have different strengths. Those two. Undernauts is the better balanced game, and it's yeah. a dungeon RPG I could recommend to someone that wants to get into the genre because it's fairly beginner friendly, but also not too easy where it's going to make it too hard to transition yeah. from that to other games. Stranger Sword City yeah, is a wizardry game. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have to recommend that uh, re- recently like remade wizardry from Digital Eclipse. Oh. There we go. Then there's also that uh that wizardry the five ordeals we yeah. release like that that game is now available fully in English like it's out of it's out of early access and it has this is this is like in that J wizardry category where it localized some of those PS2 era J wizardry games and they're just available as DLC for that game it's it's well, a lot of content yeah. <laughs> I, I one of the one of these days I'll play these super niche dungeon crawlers that only four hundred people have played. So that's right. Uh, it's nice to see that Wizardry is like in a pretty healthy spot. Uh, um, that mobile, mobile game, game aside, yeah, <laughs> mobile game I aside. I need to, I need to play more of. I actually need to start playing this uh, Moonring Saga game, which is a top-down dungeon crawler. But it was well, no, it's just Moonring. It was like a released free on Steam. And it was from like one of I forget who it was specifically, but I've heard good things about it. And it's like it's one of those games where I feel like I should play it. So, ah, uh, co-creator of uh, the Fable series. Oh, I've heard, okay. I've heard nothing Molyneux? but good things about it. No, not Molyneux. <laughs> somebody, somebody that actually knows how to make an RPG, apparently. <laughs> I heard in the last last I heard of Molyneux. He was doing like some crypto NFT stuff. And I was like, of course, of course. I am not surprised. <laughs> Absolutely not surprised. But but yeah, it's like I I should play I should play uh Moonring just because mm-hmm. like we were saying er- earlier, there this year's been so packed with RPGs, but there's also all these smaller RPGs, these indie RPGs that yeah. nobody on staff has paid has played yet. And it's like, who there's knows? Maybe maybe it'll be the next um the next Ast Libra. It's like we just don't know until we try it. Exactly. Josh is, there already, a, pre- Josh is already preparing his uh, soliloquy for Demon's Roots. That's it. So, yeah. <laughs> what was what was the name of that uh, like Kingsfield type game that people have been talking about oh, recently? Fuck. I, I know what you're talking about. I lose. I, I totally forgot the name of it, but I know what there, it is. There was a reset error third. I should play that too. It's like, but fuck. There, there's only two weeks until we record. Oh, man. <laughs> Better get on it. Why don't you play it, Chow? He's too busy playing Demon Head or whatever it was called. <laughs> That's right, Chow. Get off Demon Head. <laughs> Dead of the brain, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just want to beg for uh, forgiveness in advance. Inevitably, we're going to miss a, a fantastic RPG that one of our listeners played and wants the champion. Because, quite frankly, we have a bunch of people on staff. There's been too many RPGs this year. Something's going to fall through the cracks. It's best to be prepared for that now. I try my best. I try my best to, like, <laughs> look out for, like, really niche stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, fuck, what was the name of that field thing? That's no, going to bug me. Um, moving on to some smaller news here. We have Zoria. Age of Shattering uh, coming on March 7th, 2024 for PC. 
This is the developed by Tidy Trinket Games and uh, published by Anshar Publishing. Um, coming to Steam, GOG, and Epic uh, on PC. It'll be priced at uh, 25 bucks USD. It'll initially support English and Chinese languages, though the developers are exploring the possibility of adding additional ones uh, after launch. This is an isometric turn-based RPG. You take command of a party uh, to liberate King of Zoria. Um, and the, like the, the, every the, time the way that the, releases... the rest of these press releases Sorry. go, they always compare it to like, well, if you're done with Baldur's Gate, you can try us now. <laughs> and this this latest press release was like, well, if you haven't finished Baldur's Gate by now, you should just watch a YouTube video. Like that's actually in the email. Like, okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I found out the name of it. It's Lunacid. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's also only $14. I'm going to buy this now, and I swear I will at least play this before Game of the Year, because I go. feel like this is something that, that we... I, I should probably play it, because I, I, I like Kingsfield. <laughs> I didn't play it yet. That, that's scared to me. I don't get it. Fuck. Um, you have an update on Shiren the Wanderer, the mystery dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. Um... I don't know if we discussed like all the new ones because because Kite initially translated the new info and then we got more official info in the English language from Spike Chunsoft uh, detailing like the sumo status, behemoths, secret items, trading dojo, and new characters. I forgot if we went over. I don't this think we pre- did, but it's basically uh, and this is something they kind of teased earlier and revealed now a new gimmick in this game, which is Siren the Wanderer Six, is that. You can become sumo mode, which you basically in in these games you eat food. So like this happens when you eat too much food, and you become like big and you can't move very well, but you're stronger. So it's like this gimmick there. But then enemies can do the sort of the same thing. So yeah, so there's basically a new wrinkle in the game. That's crazy. Uh, when you're uh, sumo mode, uh, Shiren, Shiren, you can just like go over traps uh, without getting harmed. That's not the share in the water that I know. Casualized. That's it. It's over. The is also um, immune to uh, like effects uh, that would uh, or items that'll uh, normally force him to move. And it's kind of a big thing in those games because you're just you're, you're since battles are turn based in that game. Enemies don't move or act until like you do. So anything that like causes you to like take an action forcefully that you didn't want could be fatal in those games so sumo mode being uh immune to that but you also have like these behemoths as well that can become big and and from what i understand if you're a normal like side shirin i guess these behemoths you have like no chance you should just like run away because they're they pretty much one shot you and um, there's also sacred items. You can, there's this monster dojo that you can train in, and then there's uh, some new characters that they uh, released artwork for: uh, Hibiki, Sokusen, uh, to guy, to guy, and Seki. Um, other You'll be playing that, this game but... in less than two or three months. That's right. That's uh, end of February release. I mean, two days before episode report. <laughs> Almost there. Um, CD Projekt Red uh, is releasing Cyberpunk 2077 Ultimate Edition for PS5, Xbox Series X, and S, 
NPC on December 5th. This is basically a release that bundles in the update 2.0 and uh, the Phantom Liberty expansion with Cyberpunk. Um, the, there's a there's an interesting wrinkle in this situation because the it, it's getting a physical release basically on these platforms. Um, but on the Xbox Series edition, Phantom Liberty will have its own separate like not that separate. That there's gonna be a disc for Phantom Liberty inside the Xbox Series versions, while on PS5 and PC, Phantom Liberty will not be coming physically. It'll just be a code for Phantom Liberty. Um, Marcin Momot, uh, CD Projekt Red's Global Community uh, Director, clarified uh, this on Twitter. So, so if, you, if, you want, if you're expecting everything physically on disc, you'll have to go for the Xbox uh, release for yeah. this Ultimate Edition. Well, you know, PS5 and PC, only the base game with the update 2.0 will be on disc. While Phantom Liberty will be uh, just a code on those platforms, so something to note. But other than that, it's pretty much what you you'd expect. Um, and then lastly, uh, Arcadian Atlas, a game that I uh, reviewed earlier this year, is coming to PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One and Switch on November 30th. This was developed by Twin Otter Studios, published by Serenity Forge. This was a strategy RPG. It was okay. Um, I didn't, you know, have, like, high, high feelings on it. It was, like, it was a neat idea. I think there's some poorly balanced systems in it. I don't know if that got updates to kind of rectify those systems. But it's an okay, mediocre uh, strategy RPG. Like if you're if you're itching for one of those, it, it'll be fine. It's a uh, it, it'll be uh, retailing for twenty nine ninety nine uh, US dollars uh, when it releases on November thirtieth. So it's not a full price game. And yeah, that's it's just coming to consoles uh, by the end of the month. So in only in a few days. So yeah, that's uh that wraps up news uh, for this week uh, for us. Uh, upcoming so we events. basically have. Yeah, um, next week's podcast will be a normal podcast, and then the game of the year cast is the week after that already. Yeah. So, yeah. So this this is gonna be fucking weird, right? Because we're uh, first off, uh, upcoming this week we have the Dragon's Dogma Two showcase. Oh yeah. Um, and we also have the Level Five Vision Twenty Twenty Three Two uh, event. So we'll supposedly get more release dates on Level Five stuff this week. Um, and then a PC gaming show, I guess. Oh, I didn't know uh, there was a PC favorite. gaming show. Yeah. Uh, like, is it one of those game radar things? Those things sort of just seem to have. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The future? Yeah. Is it the future gaming show? Is this off of Gamatsu's list or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 on Gamatsu's list, it's the PC Gamer Presents PC Gaming Show 2023 Most Wanted. I don't know what this is. <laughs> so... I don't know. Um, and then the week after that, so this is going to be weird, right? Because we're holding our support, like the, the slated date for our um, recording for the game of the year is also the week where the game awards happen. So I guess <laughs> no. we just talk about the game awards stuff like after, <laughs> like uh, like the week after. I don't know. I the game awards is also they usually show off a decent amount of RPGs. 
I, I assume I, I'm not saying I know what's going to be there, but I assume there's probably we're gonna, they're going to announce the Elden Ring DLC for real. Gonna show yeah. off more. But we'll see how that all shakes out, I guess. Um, but yeah. Until then, um, you can find us on our site, rpgsite.net. You can find us on Twitter at rpgsite. You can find us on Facebook via facebook.com slash rpgsitenet. You can find us on YouTube via youtube.com slash rpgsitenet. Um, you can find us on your favorite podcast app, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, etc. You can also join our Discord via discord.com slash invite slash RPG site. Um, and yeah, so I assume a lot of people are going to be talking about Dragon's Dogma uh, this week there, depending on what they show at that showcase. Until then, you guys stay safe, have fun. We'll see you next time. Thank you.